the why behind that for me was that very few people are talking to teachers and, and educators about what's going well. It's just they're they're often getting crucified in the media or they're they're being told you're never enough, you're never enough. And I, I, it really started to annoy me that when, you know, p teachers would come to PD, the assumption was they're coming because of a deficiency versus they're coming because they're learners and they want to grow. And I'm like, wait a minute, how do we flip that? We have to flip that. Hi, I'm Diane Sweeney, and I'm the author of The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching and our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance. And I'm Brandon Lewis, and I'm an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri. And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together. podcast is focusing on the work around teacher clarity, we thought it would be really interesting to hear the voice of a teacher who is doing this work with Caravandis in Caldwell School District in the great state of Idaho, just north of me. And so we get to interview Shelly Jean and learn a little bit from Shelly Jean just about the work um, you've been doing in the classroom with your students around teacher clarity. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. First of all, let's just get the sense of your context. So how long have you been teaching? What grade do you teach? Give us a little background. I, I, I've been, this is my 33rd year teaching and wow. um, I teach grades nine through 12 at a alternative high school. I'm specifically teaching English and um, we also have one class where um, we kind of have an interdisciplinary approach with another, I get to team teach with another teacher and we call it literature and art. And we merge um, the two languages. Um, art is a language, literature, uh, English is a, a language and we do a lot of poetry, um, mostly generated from student interest. And uh, it's another, a friend of mine who's been, who actually motivated me to get my master's and um, that's in integrated arts. So it's a chance for me to get to do that too. That is so, good for kids to make those connections cross-disciplinary. And yep. so how long have you been working with Kara and how did all of that work start? Around 10, <laughs> let's get, yeah, around 10 years, I think. Maybe a little less, but it's it's close to that. I know, yeah. I've been in education a while. It all starts to blur together. Yes, yes, less, it does. <laughs> so it's, it's less years and more kind of phases is what I'm finding. Of my career. And this is this is my um, making learning visible phase. <laughs> oh, that's so so awesome! How has it changed or impacted your teaching to really be thinking about clarity for learning and visible learning, and just yeah. bringing that into your your classroom every day? I I think that before this, I mean, I was I love I love English, I love literature, and I think before this work, I. I was more interested in teaching what I liked and, you know, teaching the, teaching the canon and teaching the, of course, every good student has to have, you know, these, these things. And I think that um, after working with Kara, 
I really, and it took a while, but I had to do the shift. I saw the need to do the shift into, you need to teach what's going to connect with kids in a way that they get it. And it just, once I got on board with this, I mean, almost everything else went out the window. And I'm happy to say that because it's made me effective and I could feel that I was effective and not just kind of stabbing in the dark to make things work. Um, and I, I'm a groupie, I'm, I'm an absolute groupie and I, and I am hesitant to let go of others, let go of this because I haven't ever seen this kind of success uh, with kids. Um, so I find myself, even now I'll find myself, okay, like how can I minimize that? How can I make that more clear? How can I step that out? You know, even with my family. So it's in all aspects of my life. <laughs> it really changed the way you see learning, didn't it? I mean, I remember when I was in, in education classes and the, the ins I remember doing multiple choice or true false questions and doing questions like the teacher would like, if this is false, correct the question so that it is true. And all these contortions and calling it, somebody calling it rigor. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking, this is just confusing. Like, why would anybody have to do this and call this significant learning? I, I just didn't see it. And, you know, and I'm, luckily I've survived. I did well in English and my parents spoke to me correctly. Yeah. And I learned language from reading and so on. Yeah. But I think if I had had to learn through the traditional methods myself, that I, you know, I wouldn't have been successful. And, um, and so to see a research-based structure that you can actually use, and it's not just a, it's not just a theory, it's, a, it's an application. And you, and you follow it, it's like, who brought the magic in my room, you know? Yeah. And then you start re-seeing other assignments that you've done in the past. And you're like, wow, if, if I had been clear, if I had used, you know, these different steps, I, I, it would have been a different outcome. It would be nice so, to get those years back. We all have that feeling sometimes as teachers. And as, as we move through these phases, I have to ask you a question though, because with an audience of a lot of instructional coaches who are trying to create conditions for that shift to happen that mm -hmm. you're talking about, mm -hmm. you're talking about seeing things in a new way, mm -hmm. changing what you do pedagogically, mm -hmm. um, truly engaging kids in a rigorous way, authentically. Yeah. How did you, how did, how was your journey organized for you? In other words, were you in a cohort? Did you do book studies? Did you do observations? How did this learning show up just functionally in your life as a teacher? Yeah, I, I was really fortunate to be um, here at the school with a couple uh, administrators who were already on the, you know, on the, the visible learning train. Yeah. And so, and they had done, they did a lot of groundwork on that. And I wasn't in on the groundwork, but they actually had, you know, like three different staff members who created a like an application of what this looks like. And it was, it was a, we, they called it the learning hook and it was designed by, I've got to say their names, John Cooper, Mary Jo Maybon and Jessica Figueroa. And it, it's a scaffolded, um, it has the pit in it first. And then, 
you know, and, and actually their words were do or define, do, teach and apply. And so it's, it's based in Bloom, it's based in, you know, DOK, um, it's based in Solo, but it was their application of it. And they actually made um, like little whiteboards for each of our classrooms, had them printed. And that was, that was how we started learning intentions and success criteria. And, and, and they scaffolded it so the teachers could understand it, but it was an expectation. We did a lot of PD on it, lots of, you know, lots of vulnerable, honest, you know, um, uh, transparent work. And I think I probably didn't get it until like two years in because it was such a shift. And, and they preached that cognitive conflict and that struggle is imperative to success. And I, 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 um, I was one of the later ones to get on board, but then, you know, then I think, you know, both Kara, Kara's work and going to the summer institutes and it was so active and it was so, it was so authentic, but also so, like it wasn't, um, it wasn't punitive in any way. They asked questions of me more than they told me what to do. And it encouraged me to, to really dive deep and to grow and to think and to see how it fit with me. And there was time to do that. And there was never, there was never judgment. And I think that was the key. That is so, so I'm going to name back three things you said that I just want all the coaches to hear who are <laughs> and leaders who are listening to this. First of all, it took time. We are it so did. impatient with initiatives. The learning moved you through the layers and, and you saw it gradually. It's not like it was a light switch moment where I, I'm now doing it because I went to one summer workshop. It took time. Right. right. The fact that you were, your learning was evoked through questioning is really aligns with our beliefs about coaching, that we got to make sense of this in a way that makes sense in the person's life and how they'll do it, not just a scripted format that doesn't bring your own thinking into the mix. Right. And then yeah. the no judgment, those three things are so fascinating to me that you're bringing those up as kind of key to your success with this work. Can, can I ask you just this quick question? Sure. I bet you have students who maybe haven't really thrived in a traditional school setting because you are- um, Yes, <laughs> I was All gonna make them. that, yes. And so to connect with them as learners really re and brings them back into the educational setting in ways that could literally change their lives. Because it, if they can see school as something that isn't a waste of time, you know, right. shameful, whatever. If they experience success and it starts like, it starts just like in such a little tiny seed but you, but it grows. And so if you get them as freshmen and then by the time they're, you know, they're juniors and seniors right now, I teach seniors and they really, I mean, they just really grow into being safe and productive and they try, you know, they're chat, they, they challenge themselves. I've got one gal right now, she's working through creating a blog and she's like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I said, I promise you, that if you trust the process, that it you will be successful. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> oh, that's it's, such a great story. It's all you could, it's really all you could ask for. You know, we're here to create, help them create success for their own lives. <laughs>
And that's all I would ever want of myself. That's all I'd ever want of my kids. Congratulations on the work you're doing. This is so fun to feature in our podcast. And as our listeners transition to hear more from Kara, I think all of their uh, pistons are going to be firing. And congrats on just the year that you're having. And I bet you anything, you're the proudest at graduation. So I know that's oh, not too far off. It's, it, we hope it's, we hope so. We yeah. hope they all make it across that stage. That's <laughs> they the will. They will. Thanks <laughs> Thank for joining you so us. Much. Sure. I appreciate this. We all okay. do. Thanks. Take care. Bye bye. Welcome to this episode of Student Centered Coaching, the podcast. And we're both really looking forward to this conversation because we have invited Kara Vandis to join us today. And Kara, many of you know Kara. Uh, she's the author of one of my absolute favorite books that really gets at practices that accelerate student learning, and it's Clarity for Learning. And she wrote that book with John Almerode. Also, the author of Peer Power as well as an oldie but goodie titled Partnering with Students. And Kara and I have been working together in a few projects. And in fact, I'm always advocating for her work because it really is a complement to student-centered coaching. It really is the whole idea of student-centered learning. And so many folks get intrigued with that idea as they're implementing student-centered coaching. So why not hear from Kara about her thinking when it comes to her work in Clarity for Learning and take advantage of this amazing um, friendship and partnership. So welcome, Kara. Thanks, Diane. It's so exciting to be here. And it's funny um, that you mentioned that we're working together on several projects because we are, but it was, it was working with districts that brought us together because we, even though we live near each other, um, geographically, we had never met. Um, we've taught near each other and had never met. And now we have met just because of some of the districts that are like-minded. And like you said, the coaching work and the clarity work, and like student empowerment, it, it just goes together so well. So it made a lot of sense that we connected finally, but I'm super glad that we did. Oh, yes. And Brandon too, you have a connection as well. Share about that, Brandon. Yeah, I have been a, been fortunate enough to um, partner with Kara with my district here in Liberty, Missouri for the past, um, I mean, the past six years that I've been a coach, but I know Kara has been partnering with Liberty for, I, mean, I think we're going on a decade now, Yeah. right? So yeah. it started with some of the initial like PLC work um, 10 years ago, and then had shifted into um, assessments and formative assessments into success criteria and really um, has evolved into our work into clarity and student ownership um, and a lot of our visible learning work. So I absolutely love my time that I get to spend with Kara, just like I love my time I get to spend with Diane. And I feel like a little kid in a candy shop right now that I get to have both of them together. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Um, so hopefully uh, those that are listening are excited about this too. I know that there have been a couple of episodes already where in our conversations with the coaches, they have mentioned you, not even knowing that I n know you or that I've worked with you before. So it's been really cool to just see that uh, the work that you have done with Clarity and some of your partnerships with districts, it's getting around and people um, love it. And they're seeing success with um, the importance of clarity for their students with learning. So um, I'm just super excited to, to have this conversation with you. 
Well, thanks, Brennan. It's it. This is exciting work. I think that's one of the things I love the most about it is it's not. You're you're so kind to say all those things that about me, but it's it's really like the practice really does accelerate learning. It really does happen. And it's really fun to celebrate that with teachers on a regular basis. Because like just yesterday, someone from your district posted a video of a kindergartner explaining exactly where they were in their learning, what they needed to do next and the, how they made their goal. And it was just so cool to watch this little five or six year old explain that to somebody else. Let's go ahead and get started with you kind of explaining what led you down this path of clarity because I know that for some people that's all they know you as right now is you're like the the clarity lady uh which is a good thing by the way (laughs) so what led you down this path um well first and foremost as a teacher I was a hot mess when it came to clarity I had no idea and even though like I had curriculum resources and I had teaching uh colleagues I I so often just felt this sense of, am I doing what is best for my kids? Am I really teaching the lessons I should be teaching? And I think so many times I was not. And so like in the book, John and I talk about these, these um, kind of five common issues with clarity. And I, and I think I'm guilty of every single one of them, you know, um, things like activity driven you know, instruction. Oh yeah. My kids will love this activity. I'm totally doing this tomorrow. As a teacher, I struggled. And I would say I struggled the entire time I was in the classroom, even though I got better and I had more help and coaching and support. I always struggled. And I think the biggest thing for me that I get excited about is I think when I was first teaching, I didn't know my impact on my kids very much. I couldn't tell necessarily if they were really learning. And sometimes when I would give the assessment, they didn't perform at all like I thought they would. And I was like, what's the deal? Um, And I thought you would do so well and you didn't. Or you guys all seem to know this. Why am I teaching this? And so I think for me, it's really exciting when teachers do this work and then they see the impact. And so in terms of like my journey, I, you know, I was a coach as well. And I also was like a program developer. And um, then I did a director of education job in Colorado for a while Um, And eventually just started doing consulting because it's something I always wanted to do. One of my teaching um, colleagues from way back in the day is Kristen Anderson, and she's a, she's a consultant and author now as well. And she and I have this moment after we'd done some PD, wouldn't it be amazing if that was like a job, like you could be a coach or you could do professional learning for a living. So it, it just became a passion because I was like, I needed this so much and where was this all my life? And I remember some of the first trainings I had with like Larry Ainsworth or, or John Hattie, I was just like, thank you. I mean, seriously, thank you. I have not had a clue about what I should focus on. <laughs> this is so helpful. It makes so much sense, so. Well, of course, I'm gonna ask you a little bit about coaching and I'm just curious about how your work as a coach and what experiences you had as a coach How did that impact the urgency you had around this clarity work? That's a great question. I think a huge percentage of coaching, or at least like entry points to coaching, um, has everything to do with planning. A lot of times people want you to support them with planning. And sometimes, you know, in a good situation, you get to go in and co-teach and things like that. Um, But I just felt like I was spending a lot of my time planning. And again, it was like, Am I just planning stuff to do with these people, like so that they can fill their day with their kids? 
or am I really helping them make a better impact on their kids? And so I just saw a need there too, when it was like, well, when I would ask them things like, well, why, why this lesson or why, what's the big idea that you're headed toward or are kids aware of what they need to do to be successful? And a lot of times people couldn't answer those questions. And if I'm honest, I couldn't always either in the classroom. So it's just such a huge piece. And it's like, if we leave kids out of that and they don't even know what we're doing or why we're doing it or what they're supposed to learn as a result, so often it, it is just a series of random events um, that they experience, or it's about the project, like, oh, you know, what, you know, if you, kids go home and they talk to their parents and what did you learn today? Oh, we're doing a penguin project. Awesome. Um, and the teacher's going, no, I'm teaching about food webs and I'm trying to get, and the kids are like, I'm doing penguins. Like, that's what all I care about. And the other <laughs> kid's like, I'm doing seals. And another, you know what I mean? And they're just, yeah, they don't get it. Like there's, there's, it's just not enough clarity for them to cut through the, the context and go, oh, I'm supposed to be learning about food webs and how the, the, you know, the ecosystem works. Um, and so again, it was like, how do we just really nail what is actually, what kids are actually supposed to know and be able to do. And I think the other part of that, and Brandon, you mentioned this earlier about assessment is it kind of goes back to the formative process of like, how am I doing in that process? Right. Is it, is it that I completed an assignment or is it that I learned something new? And that's a total shift. And it was for me. And I was like, yes, it is about if you learn something and what is it that I'm supposed to be learning or that I, there's always unintended learning, which is great too, but there's also like the things we need our kids to be able to do as a result of being a part of our education system. Yeah. I actually witnessed a planning conversation like that just today in my work in a school. And it was fascinating because the teacher wanted to work with a coach and she was a music teacher and she just so badly wanted to know what am I, what should I even be teaching? And is this even what I should be emphasizing? And to watch them work through that kind of getting to clarity. Is this in the standards? Is this not? Is this the focus? How will we assess that? I just see such a natural connection between coaching and building toward clarity with teachers as partners. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in your work too, you, you, I think one of the things I appreciate about your work is it's so focused on student learning. And so then how do we know if students learned something or what they learned or how much they learned and, and that is, that needs to be the goal of our coaching, because honestly, it doesn't matter what I do to cause that to happen. It's the question is, did it happen? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of that mind frame John Hattie talks about of, we talk about learning, not about teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's that idea of shifting, not that we never talk about teaching, but the ultimate goal is learning. So did they learn it? not I taught it. So they learned, they must've learned it or they might've learned it, or I don't really care because I covered it, but <laughs> like, right. But like yeah. I taught it, did they learn it? And if they didn't, what am I going to do about it? Yes. Yes. Which, yes, which speaks so true to the student center coaching model. It's not about what are you doing for the teacher or fixing the teacher? It's all about the students and their learning. And that just goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that in my it's, it, you had, you started that by talking about some of your co-planning and I feel like almost all of my co-planning where I in the back of my head, I have all of these things of like, I want to make sure that I like that I had prepared for questions. I want to make sure that I, they asked that I thought of ahead of time and then different pivots that I might make in the middle of the conversation. But then on the other hand, I'm always focusing on that success criteria 
that focuses on the learning. So again, so much of that coming from like the clarity side of it, um, it is a part of all of my coaching conversations. I don't think I could have successful coaching conversations if we're not talking about those things. So they just, they go together so well and there's, it's so needed. Could we just expand a little bit and Kara, just for folks that are new to this clarity work, have you back up, you've talked a little bit about some of the, the issues like activity driven instruction, but could you just share some of the elements such as learning intentions and success criteria and just give us a bit of background on that? Yeah, absolutely. So if we back up even a little more, um, one of the things that we know now because of the research on the visible learning research and the way it's been compiled is that we know that one of the most effective things we can do in the classroom for kids and that they really can have power over is that they can articulate and say, this is where we're going in our learning or this or what I'm learning you know, and then this is how I'm doing and this is where to next. And we know from the research that that has an average impact that is triple the speed of learning otherwise, which is crazy that that's that powerful. And that's an average effect. But if we know that, and I was one of those teachers who was like, you tell me a strategy that works and I'm in, like, I want to know, like, tell me the stuff that I need to be doing to make this amazing and I'll do it. And that was one of the things when I was, when I was learning from him about the research, like that was one of the things I was like, oh my gosh, how do we, how do we get to the place where kids can answer those questions? But if we back that up, it has to start with the teacher's clarity. Uh, can the teacher answer those questions? Where am I going in this unit or chunk of learning or even these skills that are kind of ongoing? Like what do they need to know by the end of the year um, or the end of the unit? And then how am I doing in that process? And and then where to next? And And so that idea of I know my next step in learning. I can goal set for myself based on the success criteria. So what we typically use to answer your question um, is we typically, we talk about learning intentions, which is AKA also known as learning goal. It could also be stated in the form of a question, totally fine. Um, and then some success criteria, meaning the, the ingredients to meeting the learning intention or goal. So what am I going to expect as a teacher that says they've either got it or they don't, or they're where they're somewhere in the process. And how am I going to know what they need next as a teacher? And then eventually the kids getting to the point where they can, they can actually articulate that. So the other layer to just writing it. And a lot of, I see a lot of that where people write it and they put it on their board and they're like, all right, I did it, <laughs> but it's really the kind of way we align everything to that. And it's, it changes the way we do things in the classroom because kids, first of all, they need to know what that, that list of success criteria actually means. Like what's the success look like? So for example, if you're, if you're having kids do writing um, and, and create pieces of writing, they need to see some pieces of writing that are you know, good, really excellent on the way and talk about how to fix it up and make it better, what their next step be. And then we just have to model that throughout and we have to take time and have space for the reflection on that and say, hey, how are you doing with this? And where are you at in the process? And I was taught in the era of bell to bell. And so I was so often like, my kids would be like, miss, it's time to go. And I'm like, oh, all right, Kate, grab your stuff. Homework assignment on board, go, go, go. You know? And I did not take any time for reflection because I didn't know that it was worthy of my time. 
Um, but once I learned that, I was like, holy cow, there needs to be a lot of time for that in the class. And how do I then craft that? So for themselves, they're reflecting that they're helping peers reflect that they're giving me feedback. Like it just changes everything. If we can start with that clarity piece. Kara, can you talk a little bit more, um, about co-construction with the success criteria? You had mentioned what criteria is, but, um, I know, um, a lot of the work we're doing in our district right now, we're trying to take that even deeper to really transfer that to the students for them to be coming up with that to um, shift some of that ownership. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, co-construction, the idea is that we ensure that there is a shared understanding of what success looks like in our class between students and kids. And, and that shared understanding means that there has to be time taken to construct that understanding. Um, and it doesn't, it's not like an event. It doesn't have to happen one day and then that's the day. And then that's, there's no other <laughs> days that we talk about that. It's more of like an ongoing process. So I use writing as an example, so I'll keep going with that. But um, it's like, once kids get a feel for like, what is really good writing look like? Um, they have an idea and they, they, they'll have a chance to talk through the criteria that a teacher has maybe brainstormed and shared with them or the teacher can let them kind of come up with their, the criteria and list it out knowing this is what I need to make sure is on the list. Um, but it's those examples and exemplars and those discussions. And it's really the, it's the, it's the transfer, the transference of who's doing the thinking. And that's a big piece because so often like I could have a writing continuum that I put up on the wall and it's cute and it has a beautiful poster behind it and it's, you know, whatever. But if the kids have no connection to it, they're not going to use it or understand it. So it's like if I gave kids three pieces of writing, one that was super good, one that was kind of in between and one that needed a lot of work. And I asked them to put it in order from the one that was needed the most work to the one that was the strongest and justify it. And we have that discussion in class. It changes everything about what they understand. And so like I was the teacher, like it was, I was lucky if I handed out a rubric, I'm just gonna be honest. If I did have a rubric, I'd be like, here's your rubric, <laughs> you know, have a good day. Knowing that that isn't enough. And, and I found out really quickly that that was enough. If we really want kids to understand that we have, to, they have to experience it. They have to in, engage in it. And so we need to create those experiences. And sometimes it can be that overall, like, hey, this is what good writing looks like. And then later, let's say I'm, we're drafting uh, writing and my kids are not using dialogue or whatever, one element of good writing, and I want them to, I need to stop and help them have an experience or slow down and have an experience about dialogue and why it's important and what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And we could use mentor text. We could use a student's writing who did a really good job with that, put it up on a doc cam or something, but they need to see like, what is that all about dialogue and why would I want to use it versus just like, you know, when I used to give my kids feedback, I'm like, you could add some dialogue. And they're like, that's great. Well, I don't even know what that is, you know, or I'm not, you know, inclined to, and they're, they need to know what it, what it is and what it isn't. So that, that process continues, but it, it narrows down to the success criteria at the time you might be focusing on. Um, and then a lot of times, the other piece I would add to that is just as a result of that experience, maybe there's an anchor chart that we create that has some really good examples on it or has some um, different ways that you punctuate it or has some uh, different types of interactions with dialogue that we might we might have noticed in the in the text that we were reading or what have you and 
that anchor chart is something they're a part of creating and that then it then it's around for them to reference as they're writing and so that they really do have that ability to go yeah now I can add some dialogue because I get it I love the, the way you said it earlier about that it's just it's the constructing of that understanding together of what yeah. it takes to be successful and I feel like I felt this way um it, one of my last few years as a teacher is when a lot of this work started in our district. And I heard that phrase co-construction for the first time. And I think that myself, and I know a lot of teachers that even that I work with now, when it's something they're not familiar with, they immediately assume I'm supposed to just say, here's what we're learning. What does it take to be successful? And they're like, the kids don't know what it takes. How would they know if they never learned it? So it, it, it isn't just that it is it is really that constructing of that understanding together, teacher yeah. and students along the way, not front loaded, but as a process throughout the learning. So mm-hmm. I love the way you articulated that. So thank you. Yeah, there's something else too that I'm really kind of thinking a lot about. As you said, it's not an event. We need to create the experience and or these experiences, plural. I think as a teacher, I was the queen of the event stuff. I would be like, okay, we're going to make a, a success criteria today. And then it would be like, that was that. Maybe I'd hang it up and now, and then the next day would be something new. And I'm just thinking about the role of the coach in mm-hmm. that ensuring that there's depth of implementation uh, through working together side by side and, and asking questions like, how will we create these experiences? Let's go back to the learning. How will we go back to that? Mm-hmm. And just keeping that all on the front burner. I think having a coach helps you do that because it's hard, it's easy to get distracted when you're doing this alone as a teacher. I think that's so true. And just to have like a thought partner to think through, or even just somebody else who has ideas, because a lot of times um, I didn't always have a great idea, but if somebody else could start talking to me about things or showing me things, then I would have and say, well, what about this, this, or this? And which one is interesting to you? I'd be like, oh, that's a great question. Now I'm, now I'm thinking my wheels are turning. I'm excited about this now. And I think that's really, that's really powerful too, because when we uh, vocalize our internal thoughts um, for as coaches with with teachers, it teaches a way of thinking and doing. And that's the same thing we're doing in the classroom with co-constructing is we're, we're vocalizing what's going on inside our head and that metacognition. And we're helping kids see a way of thinking and doing and interacting with what they're learning in a totally different way. And I think those two mimic each other really well. So agree. As this is becoming a more popular, I I, I guess we can call it a practice to dig into for teachers with their students. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of teachers will feel more comfortable if they're doing it alongside a coach and they're helping them. So talking to coaches out there, what would you say would be a really good starting point for them if they have a teacher that they're partnering with that really wants to dig into some of the clarity work, how, what would you recommend for that coach of how to jump in? In terms of just the clarity piece, I would recommend really trying to find out like, what is the big goal of learning? I think that's one of the things that we struggle with um, because the standards are so wordy and <laughs> there's so many of them. We're like, we are learning to do this the, with this, this, and this, and then this, and this, and this, and this. And it's like pretty soon the clarity is gone because it's a big paragraph of, I don't know what that means. And then if teachers don't know, students don't know. And so I would say first getting really clear on what is the big goal? Like at the end of this unit or at the end of the year or whenever it is, 
what is it that you really want kids to know and be able to do a big picture? And so it's like simple things like we're learning to comprehend what we read. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Let's do that. And then we think about what are the success criteria that would get us there? What are the types of skills that we have to know and be able to do? Or I'm learning to problem solve um, with multi-step problems. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And really getting clear on what the success criteria is first, I think does really have an impact because then a lot of the ideas for planning and the things that need to be done versus the things that are maybe fun or interesting, but don't necessarily need to happen um, in order for kids to understand, it, it streamlines the whole planning process. And then we can think about those experiences, but without that, it's pretty hard to do that. Well, for all of our listeners who are familiar with the coaching cycle in student-centered coaching, they're recognizing those steps, <laughs> which is, we, I remember we had a conversation once, learning intention, coaching cycle goals, same, different, and it yeah. really is a process that is very much what you just described when we're in a coaching cycle with teachers or team even. It is, and I want to mention one thing, um, Diane, that was asked to me um, by a, another district where we're partnering by a couple of coaches, and they said, okay, Diane was here last week, and you're here this week, and now we have a question. I was like, okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, no, it was <laughs> great. It was good. You did nothing wrong. Um, it was the question of like, when we help coach people, and I'd love your feedback on this too, Diane, but when we help coach people, are we coaching to that big picture learning intention? Or are we also, is it possible also to narrow down to one success criteria? And that is a question I get all the time. And I would say when you talk, when you talk about in your books, learning targets, that I would say a lot of times it's more narrow when they're coaching with somebody with that, like it might be one success criteria, but it, it also could be broader. What do you think? And we had this conversation, like you're not doing anything wrong. It's just, you need to have a narrow enough coaching cycle that you can see the impact quickly or at least in a couple of weeks. So what's your advice? Yes. So would you say one success criteria is a collection of learning tar of ICANs? Just to I clarify would say that. A success criteria is an ICANN. One, I can't. One learning target. Hmm. This is where it gets muddy. That's what I say. <laughs> and there's even, there's coaches on my team that we kind of go back and forth with this, with is target more bigger or is it smaller? And I look at target as smaller, which is synonymous with a chunk of criteria is how well, I look at it. That's funny. Cause our team talks about this too. And we're, we're like, is it Brooke Hart and Moss's idea of a target or is it I just think you're right when you think when you identify the, that the point is that it's focused enough that however you organize it, like for me, what feels normal is to have a, a goal that's that's like a DOK three kind of goal, like mm. like your example of two step word problems or mm -hmm. multi step word problems, let's say problem solving, but under a DOK three intention or goal you're going to have about five or six targets is what we would refer to them. Some people call them ICANs, but I prefer the language learning target. So, and then I think of that cluster as a success criteria. Oh, that's so interesting. Just, yeah. I would think of each one of those learning targets synonymous with a success criteria. As its own. That's interesting. Like each, like, I think we're using those terms interchangeably. Yeah, I agree. 
And I think that when I, when we had this discussion on Liberty, because we did, and it was like, seriously, like a half a day, I think. It was, it was my first year as a coach and I about wanted to quit. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. And, and the issue is nobody out there has done anything wrong. It's the issue of, we have so many terms for things in education. I know. know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, why do we do this? But we do. So just to be clear, what I, what we ended up landing on after a day's discussion or half day's discussion was, let's go back to the three questions of a learner who's, who's assessment capable in the research or has that ability to say, where am I going? What's the big goal? I call that a learning intention. That it would be, be like to like multi-step word problems, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, what's the big goal? Okay. And then what do I need to do to be successful? So I, as a student can answer the question, how am I doing or how am I going? Which is question two. So where am I going and how am I going or doing? That success criteria helps me know how I'm doing in progress to the big goal. And then the where to next, it also helps me plan my next step because Uh I have another idea of what else I need to learn in order to meet that big goal. And so that's how we decided. And then I just let them decide what words they used. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think it matters. Because it doesn't matter. Exactly. (laughs) What matters is we know what we provide and we understand that we create a common language in our system. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm glad we talked about this though, because it comes up all the time. Does, yeah, that's fine. Well, so just to kind of, just to give one bit extension on that example. So you would say one success criteria would be reading the problem and interpreting what operation to use, right? Mm -hmm. And then another would be to solve using that operation. Another would be to model your thinking to show how you solve. So those Mm -hmm. would each in your mind be different success criteria. Yes, correct. And those in my mind would be learning targets. It's the same thing. It's just different language. I I agree that those are synonymous. That's the way I look at it. They are. And it was so funny when the two coaches came up and asked me because you could tell that they like kind of didn't want to ask, but they kind of had to. And so they were like, I'm really sorry because I don't want to like, say one of you is wrong and one of you is right, but I just want to know. And I'm like, it's okay. This happens. Oh, this helps me now from now on. I'll, I'll, I'll articulate that as well as another way to think about it. Well, me so. too. And, and it helps me because I think that one of the things we have to do is, is as part of co-construction for adults is to clarify language yes. and to help us, help us make sure that as coaches talking to teachers or you know, whoever it is that we're, we're, we're really talking about the same things and that we're apples to apples. Things are making sense. Yep. Which so. thinking about the classroom now, kids go from grade level to grade level and some of the teachers use completely different words for things as well. And mm-hmm. then there's just even more of a lack of clarity for them that's too, right. when it comes to things. Yeah, that's right. Now that you've been consulting for a while, how do you feel like it has um, changed the way that you partner with teachers and districts? I think one of the biggest things I've learned over the last several years when I'm talking to teachers and I, I try to talk to teachers on a regular basis and meet with them about what's going on in their classroom. So I am in a coaching role a lot of times. And I feel like one of the biggest things I've learned is that if I start off from a place of strength for them and honor the things that they're doing, um, it just changes and transforms the conversation. So I often ask them to share um, something that's going really well. I often refer to them as mastery moments. And that comes from the research on efficacy and the sources of efficacy. And, you know, like a mastery moments, like a 
It doesn't have to be a mountaintop experience. It's not like you won the Super Bowl. It can be just like that five minutes of my class was awesome. Like the rest was a hot mess, but five minutes was amazing. Let's share that. And let's start there. And so I, I try to start all conversations with that and make sure that whether I'm talking to teachers or leaders or whoever, but it, in coaching teachers, it's been, it's been really amazing. I've had teachers who maybe used to be really intimidated by an outside person coming in and talking to them about their practice. I've had them switch and start to bring stuff off their walls in their classroom or invite me to the classroom to show me, um, send me emails in between. Um, I just got some emails today from some teachers that were like, Hey, look at this. This is really working. Or I'm trying this. What do you think? And like, people are just opening up in such a different way. And it's just because I'm truly interested in what's going well and learning from that. And often from that, I can, I can see a great or next step that's possible or a couple and they get themselves to that place too, where they're like, okay, well, what about this? And I'm like, all right, let's, let's do that. And it's cool because they have capacity there. They feel a sense of efficacy. They feel good about what they're doing in that area that they've shared with me. And it's easy to take that next step. And, and it's just been, it's been incredible to watch that transform the way that those conversations um, go. I need to adopt that language. I've not used that, that language of mastery moments. I often say celebration, but mastery moments has so much more efficacy behind it. It feels more like something you achieved or did or that came from your work versus celebrations feels a little more light and as if it could have just been a, co a coincidence. So that language is really powerful. I'm going to start, I'm going to use that tomorrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sitting around a table with Kara and with a team of teachers and hearing her ask that question, I, I can speak to the upward spiral that starts when she asks that question. And this, again, the power of a good question, right? Like, right. you know, as coaches, how powerful that can be. And that's such a simple question. And instead of a coach or instead of a teacher, maybe starting with, oh, here's a problem I'm having, or here's an yeah. issue I'm having, which can then feed to other issues. It starts that upward spiral from the get-go. And then it gets others thinking about, well, what mastery moment do I have? And then they're thinking about it and then they want to share those too. And so much good and still continued good coaching comes from those moments as well. Not just the, here's a struggle I'm having. So I, I, I love that you asked that. And, um, it is, it is a, it is a really cool phrase. I really, I like it a lot. Could we just scaffold that a little bit because people in Liberty know what that means. So if, if it was the first time you introduced that language to a teacher or a group of teachers, would you let that language hold its own or would you define what you mean by a mastery moment? I would define it. And I think, well, when I say, so it's backing up a little bit. One of the reasons I, I made this change, well, there's a couple. One of the reasons I made the change was because I started digging into what it takes to build other people's efficacy and where those sources of efficacy come from. And I felt the why behind that for me was, that very few people are talking to teachers and, and educators about what's going well. It's just, they're, they're often getting crucified in the media or they're, they're being told you're never enough, you're never enough. And I, I, it really started to annoy me that when, you know, p teachers would come to PD, the assumption was they're coming because of a deficiency versus they're coming because they're learners and they wanna grow. And I'm like, wait a minute, how do we flip that? We have to flip that. And so, changing that mindset and thinking more about my own mindset and thinking more about the fact that efficacy comes from 
four main sources in the research, the first and most powerful is having a moment where you're like, yes, that worked. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. Um, again, even if it's a small thing, even if it's one student or one tool that you use in the classroom or one lesson, that mastery moment, that's why it's moment of mastery. It's not, I'm masterful at all times. I think most of us that are teachers would be honest and say, that's just not possible. <laughs> I'm certainly not. Um, but that moment in time builds you up in a way that keeps you going and connects back to our purpose in education, which pretty much everybody I've ever talked to is in education because they want to make an impact. And if that takes us back to our purpose, which is having an impact on kids, that's could not be a more powerful driver for people to move forward. And then the other three are totally related to that. They're having a vicarious mastery moment, meaning I saw Brandon do something that was completely rock star, and I'm going to do that too. Because when I saw him do it, I, I saw how effective it was, but I'm Brandon's friend and I believe I could do it too. Um, and then the third one is like feedback and it's those messages we hear from each other. And it's really critical that we think very deeply about the way that we message ideas and reflections back to people. Um, and then the fourth one is that psychological safety. And a lot of times, like I want teachers to know that I was a hot mess. I want them to know that my first year teaching, I don't think I had a single mastery moment. Like I was a, it was just a disaster one day after another. And I, I think it's so critical that we, that we change the way we approach teachers because what they do is such a complex job. And, and so that's, that was my reason for change. I don't know if that helps doing it or not. Yeah, yeah. I wrote down the moment when you say, yes, that worked. As you've been on this clarity journey, are there any other areas of passion that have kind of developed throughout your work and your thinking that you'd like to explore further? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I honestly think that um, it has developed, but it was always there. Like that idea of helping kids take greater ownership of their learning or have agency, I always wanted that. And I, I remember for years, just not understanding how to do that because I would like try to give over control and then it was just like a mess, <laughs> reel them back in and reset because it was just whatever. Or I would do projects and they were just meh or whatever. And I just didn't understand how to really make agency happen in my classroom. And I think as a result of the clarity work I have seen in so many classrooms um, that it's now possible. And so agency has been a huge piece and I'm actually working on a book on that with um, Jeanette Westfall and Ashley Duvall and really using a lot of the examples from classrooms around the country and also in Liberty, Missouri, where you work, Brandon. But I think it's totally possible for a district to get to a place or a school where agency is the way we do business, but it, it, not in the absence of clarity. It has to be with clarity. And then I think the other piece is that I'm working on with a friend, um, Ainsley Rose, kind of speaking to the, the discussion we had before about efficacy. Um, he and I are, he's been a huge mentor for me and we're working on a book about influence and how we influence other people and build their efficacy. And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about both of those kind of things. And they both really stem from the work I have been doing. So 
I'm really excited to get my hands on both of those books. And they're definitely topics that I think a lot of folks are going to find interesting. So yeah, get it done, girl. <laughs> We're working on it every day. <laughs> well, we just can't thank you enough for joining us today. And it's just a treat. It's, it's, it's sometimes I think, gosh, this is what we do for a job. How lucky are we to get to think about things like this and explore and be creative and curious. So we are ever grateful for you joining us today. Oh, I'm, I'm super thankful for you having me. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think we have the coolest job in the world. And I, I think um, if we can help educators love their work more, we have done a good thing on this planet. And that's, that's really exciting. And then if we can empower kids as a result of that, wow. Like it's, the impact is endless. Um, thank you uh, for joining us. Thanks for all the things that you shared. I know the people that are listening are going to appreciate this greatly. Um, yeah, and I'm just, I'm grateful for you and your friendship and how you have helped me as a coach as well. Um, when I'm coaching in system clarity work with teachers, um, you've always been there for me just like Diane has, and I just appreciate you so much. So thank you. Yeah, you're most welcome. Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SCCoachingPod.